Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Why don't you turn to, in your Bibles, uh, we left off last week somewhere in Matthew, <laughs> and it was good, amen? Do you remember it was good? It was good. We're learning. We're growing. And so you can go to, actually, why don't you go to uh, Matthew chapter 14, and uh, maybe you'll guess where I'm going, but I want to share a thought with you first before we get into that, um, specifically that the Lord has been, you know, the Lord will speak to me in prayer. There's a lot of talk uh, these days about uh, especially in the spirit-filled camp, about uh, the prophetic, which I'm not against the prophetic. Pro- uh, the Bible s- speaks of prophecy and the prophetic. But actually what some people are calling the prophetic isn't actually those gifts. It's actually just the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, it's not a prophetic word. And what I mean by that is it's not a, we, we need to be careful that we don't allow the Lord's emphasis, and this is something we would do, not he's doing, but we take his emphasis and then overemphasize his emphasis. Does that make sense? Because uh, especially in spirit-filled camps, which is what we are, we're a spirit-filled church, but you, you have to be aware of that. There's a balance to everything in the scripture. And so uh, Pastor Herb said this years ago, um, and it just, it's not anything I hadn't heard before, but it really stuck with me. And it's for every mile of road, there are two miles of ditches, right? So if we overemphasize one thing, you know, if you, could, if you could picture it this way, it would be like if you went to the gym and all you did was work your biceps. Bicep day again, huh? Yep, bicep day again. How many have ever seen those pictures like on you know, social media or Google or whatever, and it's, it's somebody who all they did was lift their biceps. You know, it looks a little strange, right? Well, in the spirit or as believers, we can do that. We can overemphasize something and not get the full balance of the word, and we end up looking a little strange and less balanced, right? So the Lord desires that we're balanced, in everything. So I'm not saying that the prophetic, as we have heard, and, and, and maybe you've heard about, maybe you haven't, but there, there's a lot of emphasis. I'm not saying that that's wrong. In fact, there are seasons where the Lord will emphasize different teachings in his body from the scripture, topics, and even different offices at times. And he'll, 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 he'll bring it to the forefront. Did you know that not too many years ago, people thought that praying, having a personal prayer language of other tongues was demonic. And people say they're still like that today. I know, but it's a lot less. Because those people, a lot of times, uh, uh, they thought that that was the case. Did you know there was a time where there were only three offices in the body? Even though the scripture gives us five specific offices of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. Do you know at one time all that was recognized was the pastor and the evangelist? And did you know the apostle was just a missionary? 
which is actually not wrong. Because did you know that the word apostle means sent one? That's what it means. So that's not wrong. But then people were like, no, there's no teachers. And there's no prophets. Well, no, God didn't quit. There's no expiration date on his offices. <laughs> you know, um, and in case you don't know, I'm not a cessationist. Okay, and so you say, what does that mean? I don't believe that God died with the apostles. I know that's a sarcastic way of saying it, but I do it for, for effect, okay? You say, what do you mean by that? I believe God is the same yesterday, today, that he doesn't change. Just like he saved the lost back then, he saves them now. Just like he healed bodies back then, he heals them now. Just like he baptized people with the Holy Spirit back then, he does it today. He delivers the captives. He sets free those who are tormented. He is the God who says, I change not. Now, man changes, man confuses things, all of that. You know, I'm still looking for the scripture in the Bible where it says that he quit being who he was. I still have not been able to find it, all right? Because it's not there. It's not there. He will always be who he is. We don't need to, you know, uh, I read this years ago in uh, my Foundations of Pentecostal Theology book, which is the Four Square uh, Theology book, which is a great theology book, if you like theology books, if that's your thing. So I was reading it, and one of the statements that they made is we need not judge God based on the degree of success that we attain to his promises. So in any generation, so what God does is he revives the people at times to the reality of who he is. Did you know that God is not moved by our opinion of him? I mean, you can skip over the miracle verses if you want to. But he is who he is. Aren't you thankful he's not Jehovah insecure? <laughs> can you imagine? How you doing today, God? Well, I'm just not sure about myself. <laughs> well, that's good news for all of us. Because whether we wake up in a good mood or not, he's in a good mood. He's ready to go. Amen? So we need to realize that. So the reason why I'm saying that is this. I want to give you this understanding concerning your Christian walk. Now, we enjoy services around here where God moves and nobody teaches. Or sometimes everybody teaches. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, sometimes the Lord will move and people will just be sharing testimonies or whatever. I mean, we, uh, it was probably about, well, let's see, maybe a year ago, maybe not that long ago, but we had a service where the, we, we took communion. And during the communion time, uh, Ryan Starks, he's downstairs working in the kids' ministry right now, but he just had a word from God that, he felt like he needed to share, so I had him share it. We do things decently. We don't, you know, rush the pulpit around here. You may get kicked if you do. <laughs> Not because I don't love you. I just I don't know what your intention is. 
<laughs> but uh, but uh, he came up and he shared a word about people need to give their hearts to the Lord. And, and God just moved uh, spectacularly in that service. I mean, supernaturally. Uh, eight people got up, I think is what it was, and gave their heart to Jesus. Just like that. I mean, I, normally, you know, I'm pretty ordered in what I do. And so at the end of the service, I'll give an altar call because I want people to give their heart to Jesus. But there was just that move of God in that moment where we allowed him, which we do. And people say, they don't even like it when I say allowed, but the reality is we all allow him or don't. You know what I mean? But we sensed, we knew he was leading that direction, so we followed that. We followed the anointing in that. It seemed good to me, and it seemed good to the Holy Ghost to do that. Also in that service, we had somebody uh, who uh, was a, or is, was raised a Baptist gentleman, get up, and he's in his 80s, and get filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, imagine that. God doesn't care what brand you are. Do you know God's not going to turn you around when you go into heaven and go, oh, Lutheran. <laughs> he just wants to know Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what I mean? Aren't you thankful? You know, we turn Baptists into Bapticostals all the time around here. No, no, how many know this? There is no Catholic side of heaven. You know, we do that because we're human. But the truth of the matter is, is I know, I know uh, uh, there's my, my grandparents years ago went to the Episcopal Church here in Billings. And uh, they had a minister by the name of Father John. Well, Father John uh, didn't look like me when he preached. I mean, Episcopal is about as close to Catholic as you can get. You know what I mean? I mean, I think the, the differences in how they operate are so slight that if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. Because I had been to services there. And they did, the, you know, they had the incense thing. You know what I'm talking about? They light the incense. And they'd go down the aisle during worship, the aisles, and and uh, burn incense, and you say, why do they do that? I don't know, I'm not Episcopal. But I was there, and then, but then I found out Father John was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. Father John to this day is a missionary in Africa. Father John lays hands on the sick and watches them recover. He casts out demons. Now, he does it with a black or a robe and a reversed collar. You know what I mean by that? He's got the collar thing going on. You know what I found out? That the devil will run if you use the name of Jesus, whether you dress like me or you dress like him. Whether you burn incense or don't. If you function within the boundaries of the word of God, God will move on his word and do what he said. And God is not looking down at us going, well, they're the wrong religion, they're the wrong this, that, the other. They're the wrong, I should say, denomination. He's looking down going, where is faith? I need faith. You know, a church service in other cultures looks different than ours. But you know what I found? The Holy Spirit is still there. 
And that's what God is looking for. He's not looking for us to all conform to a method of how we do church. He's looking for us to conform to the image of the resurrection, Jesus Christ. And the anointing is what allows us to do that. So as spirit-filled believers, sometimes we're like, well, how was church? Well, I got taught. You know, the preacher talked. But we tend to woo-hoo the more extravagant services and downplay the teaching services. But what I've found through the years is that the most significant change in my life has come through systematic teaching. In other words, I didn't just wait for the next uh, special meeting to come through for them to hopefully solve my problems. I began to engage in this word, and what I've found is, and I'm going to just say it, the best times I have with the Lord are by myself. And what I mean by that is just with him. So I'm a byproduct of uh, Rama, of Kenneth Hagin Ministries, which has a good taste in people's mouth and bad taste. But one of the things I appreciated about Brother Hagin was this, one of the many things. He'd say, don't just take this because I said it. Go back to the word and find the answer. And he would say this. He would pray this before we went to the word. He'd say, Lord, we approach your word reverently and humbly, except for he was from the south, and he said, humbly. Because I don't know why people in the South can't pronounce H. It doesn't make any sense to me, but they can't. He'd say reverently and humbly. That was humbly. Because this word is very valuable to believers. In other words, you are not going to know who you are unless you look in the mirror. Do you know that this is the only mirror you can look in? And it won't just show you what you look like. It'll actually show you another person. It shows you what you're supposed to look like. And so when you look into this, you begin to find who you are. And when you find out who you are, oh, the freedom. The fears of man go out the door. The PTSD leaves. The fear of death leaves. Why? Because perfected love casts out half the fear. It says all the fear. People say, well, I'm just not experiencing that. Well, the issue is not God. The issue is, is we need to continue to hear and to fellowship with him. This is how we learn how to walk in the fullness of what we have. So truth is like this. And so the Lord gave me this illustration, the baseball illustration. How many have ever been to a baseball game? How many are just familiar enough with baseball to know that this, or for this illustration to work, all right? So you have basic idea of how baseball works, right? Especially if you're at bat. Now, what's one of the most exciting things 
that can, if, if you're the team that, if your team's at bat and you want them to win, right? What's one of the most exciting things that can take place when you're at bat? That, the Grand Slam's won, but who said home run, right? So the person gets up and let's say they're the slugger, right? And they get up and they just smack a home run. Have you ever been in a church service you felt like it was a home run? You're like, oh man. Now, if you're a good baseball coach and manager, do you know what you put before the guy that hits home runs? All the base hitters. Because what's exciting, what's more exciting than the bases are loaded and smack? And you get, now if you hit a home run, you get what? If you hit a grand slam, you get, now I'm going to take it to teaching. What if the bases are loaded and you get base hits every at bat? What happens? Score, 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 score. I don't want to read my Bible today. Nope, every day. Score, 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 score. Now, it's not as exciting. You know, you don't really see videos on, on social media of, of base hit scoring one after another. But how many know that the potential of scoring is basically limitless with base hits and the bases are loaded? Where a grand slam will only get you and let's say there's a grand slam and there's four points scored and then right after that somebody hits an another home run. How many points do they get? Then you got to refill the bases again. But if the bases are full, do you see it? This is why teaching is so important. Because there's a steadiness that takes place, a stabilizing that takes place in an individual's life when they place importance on the word of God above everything else in their life. They place God at the maximum spot. You think that uh, the gifts of the spirit are important and you may enjoy them and you may enjoy feeding in that area. But I'm telling you, if you learn to walk in the fruit of the spirit, the combination of that maturity with the gifts of the Spirit will explode on a level that you've not known. And I'm going to say another statement along those lines. The gifts of the Spirit function at their best, their maximum, their highest in the life of a believer who is mature. Not only are they what I might call hypersensitive to what God wants to do, but then they are surgeon accurate with the application of those things. Do you know what one of the biggest problems with the Corinthian church was? They were carnal. Come on, think about this. No church, I don't even know why I'm on this, but it's a blessing. No church in that era and at that time had more gifts of the Spirit in operation than they did. And yet this is the same group that's getting drunk at communion. 
People say, how could that be? Oh, it can happen. Not around here because we serve grape juice. But see, I think that came out of that verse. You know, you just, it's like, well, we can't give them wine, obviously, because... <laughs> This is the same church that was so spiritual that somebody had taken their father's wife. So this is why teaching is important. You may not go away from it going, how many have ever done a budget before? Good, a lot of you, good. That's a good sign. <laughs> Doing a budget, how much fun is that? How about having $20,000 in your savings? That's fun. But to get there, I've got to do this. Do you see it? Do you see the spiritual application? So like if, in, for instance, with this series, this is part 10 in this series. You could think, oh, we're going to hear about the anointing again. Or you could think, man, I am getting stuff. It is teaching me. I am learning. My mind is being transformed. Amen? Where did I have you go? Matthew what? Okay. Skip that and go to Matthew 19. You can read Matthew 14 later. Do you know, I read through the scripture. I'm like, oh, I want to share that. And then I want to share that. And I want to share that. And I'm like, I can't share it all. So this morning, I looked it up, the last verse in John. You go to Matthew 19. But the last verse in John, John chapter 21, and it says this. Verse 25, it says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And so you'd never leave here if I preached everything that I wanted to preach, all right? So I want to get you out of here, but full of the word, amen? Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. I want to show you something about the application of the anointing. You know, in all of this, we're, ac we're asking two questions. How did the anointing affect these situations? And what action was taken for the anointing to manifest in these accounts? And I want to look at Matthew chapter 19. And this is where Jesus blesses some little kids. It says this. Verse 13, then little children were brought to him. They were brought to Jesus. That he might what? Put his hands on them and what? And pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Apparently the disciples were not into children's ministry. <laughs> you know what? It'd be one thing to say, wait, hold on, hold on. But it says they rebuked him. I guess they got after him. I don't know. I don't know if they were under stress that day or what. Who knows? But they, they wanted to be, and Jesus said what? But Jesus said to them, let the little children, what? Come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. If you look at verse uh, 15, if, and he laid his hands on them and departed from there. So what did Jesus do with these kids? Now, now, we don't know how many there were, all right? So I don't know, I don't know if it's hundreds. I have no idea what the crowd was. But these parents were like, look, we want Jesus to pray for our kids. 
And so they're bringing him, and the disciples are like, no, no, get out of here, you know? Who cares about children's ministry? Nobody, you know? <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Theirs is the kingdom of God too. They have access to the kingdom of God as well. And so he took them in his hands, or he took them, and he put his hands on them, and he prayed for them. All right, now let me, let me show you this. So the anointing was, was actually transferred, a blessing was transferred to them, or the anointing was transferred to them, how? By words and by, not just one, by words and by, okay? Now watch this word. I looked this word up because, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, yeah, Jesus prayed for them. You know, he took him up and, you know, they have this picture of like Santa Claus at the, at the mall. You know, what would you like, little boy, you know? And it's not that at all. It's a different picture, and it's kind of hard to see it unless you study into it a little bit about what Jesus did. But it says this. Um, uh, we see in Mark, let's see. Well, we see the laying on of hands and the, the activation of a blessing in Genesis 48, 14. The patriarchs did this, all right? So we see here, let's go, um, let's go over to Mark chapter 10. Let's do this. I want, this will give us more clarity. So Jesus picks them up and he puts his hand on them. And he blesses them. He prays over them. Mark chapter 10, verse 16. And I'm going to read this in the Amplified. Mark 10, verse 16. And I'll, I'll back up a little bit to verse 13. It says, it says this. Um, and they kept bringing, this is the Amplified. They kept bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples were reproving them for it. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and pained and said to them, allow the children to come to me. Do not forbid or prevent or hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 15, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive and accept and welcome the kingdom of God like a little child does, does positively shall not enter it at all. Verse 16, and he took them, the children, up one by one in his arms and fervently invoked a blessing, placing his hands upon them. Well, that's a little bit different than he prayed for them. So what is the picture here of how the anointing is being transferred? He, the word blessed means to call down a blessing on. So it's not just like, oh, bless you. What was Jesus doing? He grabbed them kids and he starts praying fervently and calls down blessings on them. Isn't that awesome? But it's a little bit different picture than just, uh, yeah, you know, pray before you go to bed. Come on, we get religious about these things. Now, I know our hearts are genuine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the degree of influence of the anointing and flowing in the resurrection of Christ is a lot greater than what many times we realize. Calling down a blessing. Come on, you have a culture right now concerning your kids that is calling down a curse on them. 
So what am I releasing to my family under the anointing? Am I cursing my family? Or am I taking them up and and putting them in my arms, so to speak, and fervently praying over them and calling down a blessing on them? How many would love your kids to be more blessed than you are? Hello. How do we do that? Well, this is one way right here. Jesus is calling down blessings upon these children. The enemy desires to twist and distort and deform our kids. If he could, because he's been a murderer from the beginning, he would kill them if he could. But the church, the body of Christ, is, is anointed and called to follow the example of Christ as he walked the earth. We're called to bless our children. Not curse them. Have you ever heard, I've heard people say this, you know, um, I've told my kids don't act that way, that's stupid. But I never call them stupid. Ever. Now, I'll correct things. You know what I mean by that? I'll look at them and I'll say, no, no, you don't want to go that route. You don't want to do that. You want to do this. And it's just because I'm further down the road. Right? How many, as a parent, you're like, I would like my kids not to make the mistakes I did. Well, you're a good parent. You know, if you're like, you know, like years ago, you know how light our TVs are today? Right? When I was a kid, you know, TVs were not that light. And, you know, we'd put a, you know, people put a TV on a TV tray. But that's not a TV tray. That's supposed to be a dinner tray. You know, and people say, well, you know, you, do, you, don't, you shouldn't let your kid learn if you can avoid it by learn not to pull the TV over on them by doing it. You should tell them and reinforce, don't play around this because this could, right? But years ago, we thought we were being, you know, strong and teaching our kids to be tough, you know, by letting them do something that could really hurt them. Now, if they get off on their own and they do something that really hurts them and you weren't there, well, obviously, it's not your fault and you've told them not to do that. But you don't intentionally throw your kid into traffic and go, see, that's why you don't want to do that. How many know that's dumb? The Lord is the same way. The Lord doesn't do that. He, he, he doesn't curse us. He invokes a blessing on us, and we choose to function within that blessing. Amen? And that's part of the anointing. So I challenge you this week with your kids, with your grandkids. Now, if you can't have them in your arms, I understand, or if they're not around you, but you can still pray over them. And what does it mean to invoke? It means that he prayed fervently. He got before the Lord. In other words, Jesus isn't going into prayer going, well, Lord, do something with him, I hope. (laughs) He's a father in heaven. Now, remember, Jesus only did and said what he saw his father do, which means the father is invoking a blessing. Amen. I mean, this is carried on into the epistles. 
If you read at the end of the epistles, Paul usually and the other writers would declare a blessing over the people. So good, isn't it? They would invoke a blessing. So the anointing is the power within and upon the believer, right? The anointing. So what do we see here? Now what do we know? Do we know? Do you think those children that were prayed over were blessed? Man, I wish we could read a biography of their lives. Like if somebody watched Jesus bless the kids and then began to follow their lives to see what happened. Now, I don't know if we have access to that. I've never found anything like that. But we do have access to our families right now. So what are you declaring over them? Now, I'm not saying your kid pitches a fit in the middle of Walmart and is spinning in circles on the ground and you're going, I invoke a blessing. I invoke a blessing. You know, use your words. They are using their words. Have you ever seen that? How many have ever heard of that comedian? I'm not promoting everything he does, but John uh, Christ. He shares a funny video on this. And uh, he talks about his sister and how they parent now. And they call it something, I can't remember what it is. But let me, let me help you with this. Any parenting system that violates the Bible is wrong. It's wrong. Well, that's an outdated book. <laughs> I certainly hope not, because we're not saved if it is. No, the, the principles there work just the same today. So people, you know, are, sometimes you'll see, I've been, you know, I've been in the grocery store in a while, thank God. But um, I, I've been to places before, you know, like people would say to, you know, uh, uh, you know, our kids were little, and they're like, how do you get those kids to sit there at the restaurant? I spanked them at home. I have people tell, you know, people close to me uh, years ago, I just don't understand why your kid does that. Well, they let their kid crawl all over the restaurant. I mean, they're eating off other people's plate, you know what I mean? They're just, and, and they're thinking, how do you get your kids to sit there? I could get your kid to sit there if you let me. <laughs> I would invoke a blessing. <laughs> but how many know you they're your kids they're not mine they're your kids god gave them to you amen i'm not talking about abuse come on that's ridiculous any person that takes some sort of pleasure in spanking their kid there's something wrong it never, you know, how many of your parents spanked you? And they're like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> I mean, I am a wooden spoon survivor. <laughs> Susan was telling me that they attended a church years ago where they just had uh, spanking spoons up where people could, I guess the lights were a little lower. Chandelier. They had them for the parents in the chandelier during the service. <laughs> if the kid got on the hand, he was pulling, whap! Put that neck up there. 
listen. <laughs> this is... We, we cannot disobey the word and then years down the road go, well, I just don't know why that it's this way. We can't. So I, I'm not talking about like, you know, with this particular case, going back to that comedian... I think you probably got the picture on the anointing today. <laughs> um, you know, he said they're at a restaurant and they're, this three-year-old is just pitching a fit, you know, for whatever reason. I'm sad. And he said his sister's on the floor, like eye to eye with her going, you're affirmed, we love you. You know, use your words, you know. <laughs> Listen. There are aspects of medical and th those things, psychology and stuff like that, that are good. But the moment you remove God, it will all go downhill. Now, people say, yeah, but they have degrees. <laughs> In what? What, what, do you, what do you mean? Are you exalting their degree above God? Because God's not in heaven going, oh, they have a PhD. <laughs> Gabriel, did you know that? Nope, didn't know that. Ch rewrite the Bible. <laughs> They've gone to Harvard. Oh. You understand I'm being sarcastic on purpose, right? You, you realize, I want you to think, not that I want you to disrespect the, the person that's earned a PhD. That's not the issue. The issue is if what they are declaring violates what this declares. This book can never be outdated. It cannot. If you and I want the anointing to flow in our lives, we have to follow the principle. Amen? We have to follow the, use your words, you know, use your words. It's so funny to me. And I can get a little too sarcastic about some of that stuff, and I blame my upbringing. But, <laughs> and it certainly was not my mom's side of the family. I'll just say that. It was definitely my dad's side of the family. McFarlane blood runs thick, all right? But, but, but in, a, in a good-natured way. How many know you can joke and laugh in a good-natured way, and it's okay? We don't have to get mean or harsh, right? But with your kids, if, if, if you're going to bless them, if you're going to take them up, pray over them, bless them, and then walk, teach them to walk the way. They're not trying to earn God's love. They're walking within the boundaries how many have driven and on, a, on, a, on a road and it's a high road, but there's guardrails on the side? The truths, the principles of God's word are guardrails to our lives. Why do they put those guardrails up? Because if you drive past them, you know, people do this all the time in the spirit and they don't even realize they're doing it. Like, well, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to drive. And then they get to the bottom of the canyon and they have to go to the hospital and they're like... Why, God? Amen. <laughs> but if you want the anointing to function at a high level in your life, and everybody should, 
Everybody should want to have the influence of God working through them. Then there has to be that place of obedience, right? So what did we learn today? We learned this. Teaching is important because it's those base hits. We also learned that the anointing flowing through teaching but can flow through what? Laying on of hands and speaking. Amen? Now, when you think about those things, when you're doing your reading in the Gospels or wherever it is, and you're thinking about those truths, think about and, 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 and allow your, uh, f- your focus to rest in and the Holy Spirit to teach you in, Lord, what are you saying in this to me? How is the anointing operating? Now, Lord, I want you to open my eyes to show me how I can how I can apply this truth about the anointing to my family, to my own life, to my family, to the church, to my business, to my coworkers, to my, you name it, anything. How do I do this? If you're an owner of a business, how can the anointing flow through you to have an influence in the kingdom? I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not, I'm not saying that you, you, you need to do some sort of extravagant thing. What I've found out about the anointing and the presence and the Holy Spirit of God is he is very ninja. How many of you ever watched a good movie about ninjas? What is one of their main things? They get into a place and they get out without being... Right? The Spirit of God is that way. You can actually find yourself in just walking in the fruit of the Spirit with a coworker, and you develop a friendship and they start noticing you don't use the same language that they do, but they like you and then all of a sudden they're sharing with you about a problem they have and you're now ministering to them. I go to breakfast every Friday morning. We go to the same place. Our server one day just decided to tell us all the hurts that they had from growing up. And then while they're crying, they look at us and they say, I don't even know why I'm sharing this. And I said, I do. (laughs) And we're able to minister to her. Now that doesn't mean I jumped up in the restaurant and made a big scene. No. This is very ninja. There are time for big scenes, but it's most of the time no. And we begin to minister to her about the love of God. And she doesn't believe in God. But yet she doesn't understand why she is, uh, has that, that magnetic pull to share with us about what's going on. Well, I know why. I'm a dealer. I carry the kingdom. Now, that doesn't happen everywhere I go. But that's okay. It happens enough. And I'm believing for increase. Well, you carry the kingdom if you're born again. So what is your sphere of influence? Amen? Joy, why don't you come? I want to give people an opportunity to receive Jesus this morning. Did you receive from the word? Glory to God. If my altar care workers will come. Now, maybe you're in here. And you say, well, you didn't touch on the subject I need to hear or I need physical healing in my body, whatever it is. Well, we have people that will pray for you. 
and you'll be a you'll 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 have the uh, you'll have the uh, ability to come up after we give the altar call to minister to people uh, to get ministry to you. I'm sorry to get ministry to you and about your situation. You know the Lord will minister to you. It doesn't have to be the preacher. We just need faith, and we got people with faith. Amen. So every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give people an opportunity. Maybe you're in this place and you're not where you should be with the Lord. And so I want to give you that opportunity if you're watching online as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse number 11 says that the Lord also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. It is a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. So every person has a deep-seated knowledge of eternity in their hearts and minds by God himself. The most important issue we will ever face in this life is our relationship with God and where we will spend eternity after we pass from this life. The question is not whether eternity is real or not, but rather where we will spend it. If we uh, leave God out or, or don't participate with him, there's a place called hell where we go. But if we allow God in, there's a place called heaven. The answer to the question always is, of, of, of our relationship with God in eternity, is found, of course, in the Bible and realized in our life by faith. John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All people we know have been separated from God by sin. And the answer is believing in Jesus. Heaven, of course, cannot be earned. It's a free gift. We know this from Scripture. But in order to get there, we have to receive Jesus. God loves us so much that he actually brought us back into relationship with him. According to Romans 5, 8, and 9, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still his enemies or sinners, Christ died for us. So we receive this forgiveness through faith by trusting in Christ. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says it this way, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart, our heart, that we believe unto righteousness, and with our mouth that we confess, a confession is made unto salvation. So you can place your faith in Jesus and receive God's gift of eternal life right now. If you'd like to receive Jesus, I'd like you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.